our good friend, Mr. Albeck. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Karen. It's another uh, Top Shelf Tuesday, thanks to KMSU and all of you wonderful listeners out there. I hope you're having a grand day. Uh, I need to mention uh, that I'll be at the Albert Lee Seed House, 9.30, the morning of December 9th. That's a Saturday. I am a champion of communing with people, so if uh, anybody's in the neighborhood, you got uh, something you want to share about Aww. nature, something you've seen, come on in and talk to us. You will find the Seed House is a very welcoming place. It is filled with all kinds of birdie stuff, uh, seeds and feeders, and uh, just uh, it's a great place to spend a Saturday morning. So if you're, uh, again, Albert Lee Seed House, it's on the west side of Albert Lee, right off Highway 13, so it's pretty easy to get to. And Al, anything I, with the word seed in, I love, because I'm a gardener, so it's a good thing. It, and they have uh, all kinds of gardening stuff, uh, yes. seeds and uh, every kind of tool that you could ever imagine. You know, you look at some of them, you say, what, what is it, what do I use that for? And then, of course, they have a, a reason for using it. So and you can never have too many garden tools, garden books, bird books, uh, yeah. all that sort of thing. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I watched a, uh, a wild turkey drink from our uh, heated water this morning and, and there's a possum that comes in and it might it's probably more than one possum because i just can't tell them apart but the possum's pink fingers produce awe and awe when i see them it's just they have cute little pink hands and when i see their footprints in the snow it's like somebody's out there walking on their hands and I my job description was defined by Mary Oliver, who was my favorite poet, who wrote instructions for living a life. Pay attention, be astonished, and tell about it. Uh, things are always happening. I have pine siskins now coming in. They're goldfinches wearing striped pajamas. And again, you know, deer think they have the right way now because they they have other things on their mind, and they don't always pay attention. And it's not fair, but we have to pay attention for them. Raccoons they spend most of the winter hunkered down in dens, but they emerge occasionally to forage for food and to drink water. They aren't true hibernators, so they enter a prolonged state of inactivity called torpor, T-O-R-P-O-R, which they can sleep for weeks at a time in torpor. They rely on their accumulated fat stores, so they try to eat as much (laughs) as they can in the fall, so they're ready to go into this. I'm thinking of a day. I was tooling around Chicago in a rental car while someone on the radio marveled at the traffic savvy of the city's coyotes, which allegedly look both ways before crossing the street and use crosswalks at red lights. You know, they have surpassed our ability to do that, I think. Uh, have I ever crossed a street when I shouldn't cross because I'm waiting for that light and it's saying, wait, wait, wait. And what do we do? We look and I don't see any cars, so away we go. And there's a whole flock of us running across the street. So, you know, I suppose coyotes would do that too, but it's amazing how smart they are. And I mentioned this hen turkey. It happens every fall. A hen turkey decides to trot around our yard. I don't know why she does it, but I'm sure she has a good reason. 
In the fall, hen turkeys live in flocks with their female offspring. At least they're supposed to. Hens that weren't successful hatching chicks, they may form their smaller flocks with similar lone hens because they don't want to hang around the mother turkeys because all they talk about are their chicks. So they just want to be off by themselves. While male turkeys form their own flocks, which might be segregated by age. So young male turkeys, commonly called jakes, they'll band together, and then the older males will form their own groups, and they likely hold uh, clandestine meetings. But they interact with others within a flock, and they call frequently to each other. An essential part of a flock's life is establishing dominance which leads to squabbles, dominance displays, fights, and kerfuffles. A gobble can be heard occasionally as a pecking order is sorted out. I, I read about a fellow by the name of Brewster Bartlett, and he is known as Dr. Splat. Uh, Splat with two T's. He's a retired science teacher at Pinkerton Academy, a high school in Derry, New Hampshire, once, Dr. Splat once ran the Roadkill Project. It was a program that connected students from schools around the nation to study flattened fauna. And students involved in the Roadkill Project adopted roads and kept track of the dead critters they encountered from the tiniest frogs to stray pets to deer. And again, Bartlett, known as Dr. Splat, found the daylight saving time had no effect on the roadkill count. But more dead animals were counted during a new moon than a full moon, perhaps because the animals moved more freely under the cover of darkness. And this, the third thing that he found, I found Pretty interesting. Roads posted at 35 miles per hour had more carnage than highways hmm. because the slower roads are often winding and travel through wooded rural oh. or suburban areas. That so makes that sense. makes sense. Yeah, because otherwise we just send us well in the high speeds on the rural highways. There's going to be more things hit, but no, it's the other way. Uh, Michael Bonner. Uh, Michael sent me some information about a, uh, a sound he's hearing, uh, kind of a tooting sound. And my guess was a northern saw-wet owl, which sounds like a small truck backing up and goes toot, 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 toot. And it didn't sound exactly like what Michael was hearing, but uh, I'm hoping he'll get a look at it or a recording or something so we can investigate that a little bit further. Uh, Jerry Victor of Allendale says he has a yard full of strutting turkeys. Yeah, yeah. Jerry's yard, I have one turkey. Jerry has uh, the rest of the, the county population, I think. He just gets all kinds of them in his yard. He doesn't feed them or anything, but they just hang. They like him. They like Jerry, and there's nothing not to like about Jerry. But if you're out for a walk and you stumble onto a flock of turkeys, They'll run and fly in every direction. It was like that Monty Python skit where they had the, the oh, was it a marathon or a road race of people with no sense of direction, where they, they let them go, they fired a gun or whatever, and everybody just ran in every direction. That's what turkeys will do. 
But if you hang around, within minutes, they'll begin calling, and they call loudly. And hens make a harsh yelp, and they will call to each other until the flock is reassembled. So they will uh, come back to the place they were. Uh, A listener says, how do you tell if a crow is a male or a female? Individuals vary in size, and there are regional differences. I, I was in Alaska. I'd go down to St. Therese. It's a wonderful place. Um, the solitude and the silence there is amazing. And what we used to be called, and we're actually were classified as a northwestern crow, would be out there grabbing mussels and other shells and flying up in the air, and along with the gulls, they drop them on the rocks and then go down and eat them. And they're smaller than our crows here, but now they're able to do DNA, and they found out it's the same crow. So they became an American crow, and they're they're still smaller, but they're the American crow. So there are regional differences in size. But, boy, for me, it's nearly impossible to tell male and female crows apart. And I think the only way to differentiate between them is if they're perched right close together when you might detect a slight difference in size. Males are generally larger than females. And even then, boy, it's just real tough to tell the difference. Uh, And again, as I say, like about blue jays, as long as they can tell, you know, we really don't need to know what what business is of ours. Uh, Just got something from a listener said about turkeys. How far can your turkey fly, and how old are they before they can fly? Uh, turkey poults can fly when they're 8 to 10 days old, and they can fly up into a low branch of a tree. The adults rarely fly over 100 yards, but they are said to be capable of flying a quarter of a mile. Hmm. They can get out there and fly quite a bit. As opposed to pheasants, pheasants can fly maybe 600 feet, although the Cornell Lab of Ornithology says there's a 1941 report noted a pheasant was observed flying four miles across a body of water. And baby pheasants, they can fly. I used to raise pheasants. Uh, Baby pheasants can fly maybe 150 feet when they're probably around three weeks old. So they can can fly pretty good, too. Uh, Raising pheasants for all those years, the one thing I learned is they never become pets. Uh, They just always had the wildness in them. Uh, We raised them uh, around a lot of chickens. And they would hang out with the chickens, and you thought, boy, they're going to be just like chickens, and they're going to be tame. No, they were not. We had one pheasant, we called him Phil, that refused to leave. He, uh, the rest were <laughs> all gone. They got a certain age, and they just disappeared. But Phil had figured it out that he got food there. And there was water there. At night, the door was shut, and he was safe in there. So we, uh, I would kind of encourage him to leave, but he just uh, would not leave. And I think he was there for three years. Oh, wow. And then, and then one day, he just disappeared. So I don't know if uh, something happened to Phil. He would fight with the rooster chickens, <laughs> and Phil was a... Uh, he knew some sort of 
poultry martial arts. He was the uh, he was he ruled the roost. He was a tough dude. But uh, I think of Phil often when I see a pheasant. It's funny how those things from when you're a little kid. I wasn't a little kid. I was a young fella. Stick with you. So it was nice to have Phil. But I hope the rest of his life turned out very well. When I was um, driving back from the lake house on Sunday afternoon, uh, there's a there's a marsh, you know, before before the lake, and on the side of the road was the most beautiful pheasant. I mean, they're just. Their feathers almost seem like they're iridescent. And so I was driving along and all of a sudden he flew up and I was just so afraid I'd I'd hit him. But his the tip of his wing just brushed oh. the, the top of my um, oh. window on, on the on the front. And I think he's OK. But I mean, I just thought, how beautiful are you? So they must not be able to get a, a quick lift up and have to swoop a little because he was just on the side and almost boom into me. But I think he was OK. And they don't like to fly, you know. A lot oh. of hunters will talk about that, that they pr- they prefer just running. Mm. So they really don't like to fly, and that's, it's, I, well, you know, he'll have a story to tell the hens about <laughs> how he almost went. He saw the light at the end of the tunnel, but it wasn't his time, so he's still there. And I'm sure they'll go for it. Uh, you know, I watched, I watched Phil. He would, um, he would make this sound as when he found a kernel of corn or something, and then all the hens would come rushing over and say, oh, Phil, you are the greatest <laughs> thing. And he just, uh, yeah, and he said, I'm not even going to eat it. Of course, he'd eaten his fill before the hens even got there. He didn't tell them that. But they are beautiful, and the, the roosters have this long, spiky tail yeah. that comes out. And how they maintain that in our winters and my dad always said if you saw a rooster that had a bad-looking tail, he probably wasn't uh, wasn't long for the world because otherwise that was, uh, they took good care of those tails. And it's amazing how they do that. And I know the feathers have incredible strength to them, but still, boy, if you're out there roosting on the where there's snow and everything, you'd think you'd be getting stuck to everything, and it'd just be a mess trying to keep that tail. But roosters are good at it, and you are so right. They are beautiful uh, creatures, and I love seeing them in the spring. When I see this rooster walking through the low greenery when it's first starting to to bud and bloom, and it's just that they jump right out at you. They are incredible, and again, they are not a native to this uh, this country. They were brought here to be hunted. That's why they brought them here, because they did a lot of that in other parts of the world. And, uh, of course, when we were a new nation, uh, the folks that moved here from other parts of the world thought this country should have everything that everywhere else in the world has. So that's how we ended up with uh, pheasants, but they've been here a long time. And again, the toughest thing, uh, a hard, harsh winter is hard on them. If we get some deep snow, it's hard to find things to eat. But the thing that's really deathly on pheasants is a wet spring because it destroys the next crop of pheasants. So it's hard on baby pheasants. And if we have a wet spring or a late spring, it um, decimates the population, so to speak. But we do... We have a lack of uh, cattail marshes that we used to have so many of them here. Mm -hmm. And that's a place where pheasants 
can and will spend a winter. And, and that's where this guy was coming from, it was the cattail marsh just on the, the side of the road. And his actually his beautiful tail feathers is what hit the, the side of, you know, the corner oh. of my... So he, I don't think he got hurt. But you know, it's funny because of his iridescent and his beauty. All I could think of, wouldn't this be cool to do as a, do a pheasant in seed art? <laughs> oh my god! That's what yeah. popped in my head because I was thinking, how many different kinds of seeds you could use, and how how you'd get those colors, and it's just weird the things that pop in your head sometimes. I was just, uh, you know, how we do when we got a few minutes, we go through and we delete photos because yeah. we have like nine thousand that we we should delete. And I was looking at some photos I'd taken of a rooster pheasant. And all the different colors, you would go uh, blind doing a seed art one if you had to include all those different, yeah. uh, oh, the browns. There's so many versions of brown in those birds. But, yeah, I think that'd be great. You should do that. That'd be a good project for you. <laughs> Keep you me busy just... in the winter when gardening is season and it isn't on. It guess. would, yeah. yeah. A, a listener just sent a note, said, Al, a while ago you talked on the radio about when cardinals came to Minnesota. Could you repeat that? Oh, I'll sure try. In Audubon's day. I'm talking about John James Audubon. The northern cardinal was considered a southern bird, and it was rarely seen as far north as, boy, for him, probably Philadelphia. And it's the northern cardinal because it's the northern representative of his genus, which is cardinalis. And the, I, I remember the date of the first Minnesota record was in Minnesota and Minneapolis, and it was in 1875. Many of the first arrivals were single males. In uh, southern Minnesota, of course, we had a lot of them. Uh, the first one... And this area was probably Martin County. I want to say it was in uh, the early 1910s, somewhere in that area. I don't have the exact date in front of me. But I I do know that the first nesting, or a nest with eggs, was found in Steele County. And I know that was in 1925. So it's been a long time that they've been here. Uh, now you see them, you know, Duluth has them pretty regularly now. So they have been moving further and further north. Some uh, used to say it was because the railroad tracks, they followed the tracks up and there was grain and things on the tracks and they could come up. It provided edges for them, wooded edges. Others say they are advancing north because of uh, bird feeders. Uh, who knows why they're advancing north. Some say it's just a bit of climate change that's been going on. But oh, I'm, I'm looking at one out the window now. It's a female. And I am just so happy to have them because when I was growing up, we did not have them. I didn't see them here. I could go to the golf course in Albert Lee, and there would be cardinals. And I said, how that's not even fair. The golf course, these guys are trying to get birdies and eagles. They're not looking at cardinals. I'm sitting at home. I'd love to see cardinals. And now I see them every day in my yard. And uh, what a blessing it is. They're just exquisite birds. Uh, the male is a dandy. But, you know, if you really take a good look at that female, she is exquisite 
exquisite. What a beauty she is. So I appreciate their company and just happy to have them around. How do I set... Oh, how do I set the diopter on my binoculars, and what is the best way to focus on the bird? Oh, gosh, see if I can do this on the radio because I have to use my hands. Uh, Close your right eye, and then using only your left eye to look through the binoculars, adjust the focus wheel until the object is clear. So if you got a sign, like a uh, road sign or something, you can get far enough away so you can need to use binoculars and look at that road sign and just again cover your right eye close your right eye and then use only your left eye to look through the binoculars and adjust that focus wheel until the object is clear so next then you close your left eye and open your right eye and use that diopter adjustment. Bring your view into sharp focus. See the bird with your naked eyes and then lock your eyes on it while you're bringing your binoculars up to your eyes is the easiest way. So first you see the bird with your eyes and then you bring your binoculars up to your eyes. And I know using a diopter, I'll try to do a better job on that. I think all I did is probably confuse people more, <laughs> but it's, it's so easy when you're in front of somebody to say, here's how you do it. But uh, you need to adjust a focus wheel and then you use a diopter adjustment. Do you so know what you could also do? You could also Google it on YouTube, and I'll bet you there's somebody that shows there a really good go. demo. <laughs> Maybe you should yeah, do your own. Perf- that's that's a much better idea than me trying to muddle my way through all that. It's really pretty simple, but when explaining it, of course, you know, it can, we can make it really confusing. How about TikTok uh, with Al Bat on, on demonstrating? There you go. Yeah, and there is a... Uh, I did a thing for... Oh, some kind of education thing for Good Samaritan homes that are scattered all across the country. And I covered that in there, but I think you have to be a, a, with Good Samaritan or a resident there to see those. But uh, So there's people probably looking at that and just being terribly confused about what is he talking about, a diopter? What the heck is a diopter? Exactly. Hey, uh, and I, the diopter is that little, it's usually a little round thing that it sets permanently and it'll have plus and minuses on it. And I'm going to stop talking about that before I confuse people. Anyway. Yeah, they're, they're all scratching their heads right now. Hey, I got oh, a... I don't blame them. I am too. I've got a uh, text from Jennifer and Lily. She says, hello, Good. ma'am. Please ask the bird guy about birds and calf muscles. Is it true that emus are the only birds with calf muscles? Are calf muscles required for running? Do other birds run? I guess I've never seen any birds running besides emus, and that is a terrifying sight. I was thinking of ostriches too, maybe, but maybe? What do you think? Yeah, there's a a number of them that uh, we have one in this country, uh, roadrunners. And they certainly can fly, but uh, they're great runners. Not as great as uh, the one that... uh, mystified and tormented poor wily coyote but they they will do that too uh run uh yeah emus i have been told uh lily and jennifer that 
Emus are the only birds with calf muscles. So I've been told that same thing. Mm. Ostriches are, are great runners, so we do have some birds. Uh, it's the largest leg muscle, of course. But I have been told that, and I can't tell you who told me that, but it was somebody that knew what they were talking about, like somebody at a museum or a zoo or uh, something was telling me that. So I'm going to go with that, and I will certainly check on it. You'd think chickens even would have, because they're pretty good runners, get out there and run around, but it's... It's not. Uh, it's the emu. So that is a great question. And, uh, again, we do have a few birds that are runners, and uh, pheasants will run. Uh, some of the partridge and grouse will run a bit. But what emus, about the roadrunner? Yeah, the roadrunner <laughs> is definitely a runner. Yeah, I was thinking and, of the cartoon one, but, you know. Yeah, Wiley Coyote. And I have watched... Uh, I watched in Texas, it used to be Benson State Park, which has since been renamed, I believe, but I watched roadrunners come, and they'd run through and they'd eat lizards or whatever they could find, and I watched one go running and jump up in the air and catch a, a hummingbird. I don't know what oh. kind of hummingbird it was, and jumped up and just... Huh snapped it right out of the air and took it but road runners again are pretty good runners not uh, again like the cartoon road runner and they don't go meep beep they do sort of a <laughs> more like a cuckoo sound but it uh i like seeing road runners i saw one oh not too long ago in a in a zoo somewhere either in sioux falls or omaha one of those two a nice zoo had road runners but they uh Emus are great jumpers because of those calf muscles, and they have uh, amazing agility. And uh, they have emus would have fewer bones and muscles than those of flying birds oh. because of the inability to fly. They don't need all those wing muscles, but they can run. And I have seen them run too. I have seen both an ostrich out running around, and by Waterville, I saw an emu running down the ditch had escaped from somewhere. So, okay, well, I wanted to call the the sheriff, but I thought he'd say, <laughs> "Boy, this guy's been drinking. He's seeing a giant bird out there. We better send a send a couple cars out there." But he, uh, they knew whose emu it was. So I got a letter from our friend. John in New Ulm, and it's 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 quite a long, so I can't read it all, but there's some fun highlights I want to share with you. Sure. He wants me to share with you, and he says, Tuesday, November 28th, about 6.15 p.m., looked out the kitchen window the east direction and saw a nice full moon. Okay, and then he uh, said that um, he told someone he needs more brains, but not in a zombie way, and then he has a joke about zombies. He says, warning, homemade joke. I know some bees that stay up all night and eat meat. Yes, they are zombies. Zombies. Oh, gosh. Okay, and then, you know, he lost his dad um, not that yeah. long ago, and he says, I still try to go to dad's house every month for some days. He has a jacket on a hook by the living room. Before I drive back to New Ulm, I usually give it a hug. Aww. Aww. That's gosh. really special, and we know how much he misses his dad. He says, try to do stuff and have fun now, Karen. Time goes fast, and for all we have, expiration dates. 
And that is yeah. so true, John. And he's got, I should send you this, because he's got this whole idea down for a skit that he thinks he should do. So, or we should do maybe. And I don't know what parts okay. we should but Yeah. Hey, I just got another uh, a, a text here just while we were chatting. Uh, this is from Ridge Runner. It says, last week I saw a turkey vulture. I thought that they had all moved south. How long do they stick around? From Ridge Runner. Hey, Ridge Runner. Great to hear from you. They... You know, they're they're tough enough. They could hang in here. They can take the cold. And uh, usually I see them, you know, in November. But, yeah, this is a late one. And who knows? He didn't get the memo. Uh, who knows what's going on? He had a nice deer that he had to finish eating. Their problem in the wintertime is things freeze as far as roadkill. And their bill, they don't have talons that are able to rip anything apart. Their bill isn't strong enough to do that. So they get out of here where life is just a little easier and food is uh, much easier for them to consume. So I, uh, I, I love turkey vultures. They're one of my favorite birds, but you are right. They should be out of here, and I hope this one has figured that out and said, I am out of here. Hey, thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with us. Uh, you know, it snowed all year long when I was a boy. Yeah, it did. All year, it's true. It covered the picture on our TV. We didn't have to shovel it, and you couldn't build a snowman out of it. But we needed to move the rabbit ears antenna around to make the snow go away, which it seldom did. The reception on our old TV came in three categories, snowy, snowier, and snowiest. But time flies, and so do I. One of the most common dreams people have is about flying. I don't dream about flying because I lost my luggage the last time I dreamed about flying. Uh, money can't buy happiness unless you're flying. I walk like an innocuous zombie through first class to get to my last class seat in the airplanes way back. It's like the rear of an old station wagon, but not as nice, which offered a lovely view out the rear window of the plane. And I wondered what those in first class did for a living. They're up there reading the Wall Street Journal while I sit in the back making shadow puppets with an overhead reading light. I hope you all have the best of days. Thanks for listening. Uh, remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, thank you as always. I enjoy your company. Happy birthday to your hubby. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'll share that with him. And Al, have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you next week. I look forward to it. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.